Hey, this is Eric Johnson, and you're listening to Sonic Perspectives. and welcome to another interview of Sonic Perspectives. Our guest today is the guitar player with the absolutely perfect tone, Mr. Eric Johnson. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you, Rodrigo. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, so let's talk about uh, not one, but two of your upcoming albums, The Book of Making and Yesterday Meets Today. Two albums, 18 songs. It's a massive undertaking. Yeah, it was bits and pieces that were in my closet. There's uh, seven of the 18 are brand new pieces that I recorded um, mm. uh, from scratch just recently. But the other 11 were just bits and pieces that I had in my closet. And when I came home, but, uh, you know, in 2020, uh, when the, all the COVID hit and I just so I just kind of put all I got these pieces out, thought, oh, I'll overdub on this. I'll transfer that. I'll redo mm. that. Just kind of put it together. Right. And uh, what's behind the decision to release uh, two separate albums and not a double one? It's kind of like Guns N' Roses did on Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, I, I hear they <laughs> did that. Um, the, the record label I'm working with, Blue Alon, they just decided mm -hmm. to release it as two singles. Mm -hmm. Originally, I was going to do a double record. I couldn't decide which of the titles I liked the best. So I decided right. whether, whether it's going to be a double record or two singles, I'm going to call each record a different name because I like both <laughs> names. But they decided they wanted to do two singles. There's actually seven more tunes that are going to be on a on a outtake record called Takeouts. Oh, okay. So I think that those seven, that third record with seven tunes, might be included. If somebody decided they wanted to buy both the single records, they might get this Takeout record uh, just oh. as a bon bonus or something. I don't know. Excellent. And it's seven new tracks or different it, versions of no, what? Sorry, it, it's it's seven tracks from this whole deal that I did, which I think most of them were old tracks that I overdubbed on. Oh, okay. And I'm curious because, you know, one of the last shows I saw before everything shut down was here in Toronto in February 25th, 2020. It was, it was you playing with your band. And uh, mm -hmm. I know you got some, some shows that were canceled. So how far into COVID and into isolation were you when you decided to do this record? Well, you know, the tour, I had like two or three weeks of tour uh, uh, dates left in mm. March of 2020, but they just yeah. they all got canceled. So I just came home from Florida. I, I think I did one or two dates in Florida, and then all the rest of the Florida dates got canceled. So we just came straight home. And at that time, everything was shut down. And I was like, well, okay, I'll just go to the studio by myself. And mm. I kind of learned more about kind of engineering myself but uh kelly donnelly the engineer also came in and helped me but for the most part i did a lot of it just sitting in here by myself for the first first while mm. yeah. and uh let me ask you about a few personal highlights of these albums uh the first one being soundtrack life which you already actually already played live on a few tours but now we get a finalized studio version right right, right. yeah that's true yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a track. I think I cut that in the studio about four years ago, four or five years ago. Okay. I never, never overdubbed all the parts. Mm. And so I just decided that, that I would. Uh, it's funny how you, you um, sometimes you bring out 
songs that you've recorded that you at the time you're like, yeah, well, I don't know about that. And then you do this because oh, this other stuff's better. And then you you pull it out later and go, well, actually, I think that's better than what I thought was better. You know, it's all kind of subjective. So, yeah, I don't well, know. Well, didn't that happen with Cliffs of Dover that was supposed to be on Tones, your first record, right? And yeah. the producer said, yeah, no, let's leave that aside. No, right? no. He said, he, he said, oh, no, I don't want to record that. He says, that sounds like a game show theme. <laughs> Which I guess it does kind of instead of da 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 da, you like da 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 da. I like the match game or something, I guess. I don't know. And if all themes sounded like that, <laughs> can you imagine? If all, the if all game show themes sounded yeah, as yeah. this good, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, but you know, it was okay because um, there was too many songs for tones at the time and it came out, I guess, when it was supposed to. Yeah. And uh, going back to the album, I love the contrast between the keyboards and your guitar on the. Love Will Never Say Goodbye. What's the story behind that one? Well, that that's interesting. That track is keyboards, bass, drums, and vocal off mm. a cassette. It was a rough mix that I got off a cassette. And the vocals are a little low, and there's a lot of reverb on it, but there's nothing I could do about it because it was a cassette. I couldn't find the two-inch master. Mm. It would have been analog two-inch master. I couldn't find it. It's probably somewhere, but I could never find it. So... I just said, okay, I'm going to, I'll just use the cassette. I transferred the cassette over to digital platform and I added guitars and um, vocals, background vocals, percussion. Just went, yeah, whatever. And, and right. if you don't listen too close because on the right side, there's a place where the, the, the actual two mix distorts. <laughs> it actually distorts, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, I love those imperfections. You know, they, You know, in the 70s, we didn't have the luxury of post-editing and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, it's my favorite period. So, yeah. you know, and a lot of times it's interesting. It doesn't really matter in the end. It's just whether the vibe is there or not. You know? Of course. Yeah. Uh, like Led Zeppelin, you know, they were all about, you know, the best take, not the most perfect one or the most the most organic one. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And on the other hand, uh, Bigger Than My Life has some very inspired vocal lines. Uh, and I think we never, I've never seen in an interview you addressing how you develop your singing style, which is very unique as well. Uh, well, I mean, I, I have really, I love, there's certain singers that I just really love and I couldn't get anywhere near close to them. But mm. I, I, I love the inflections like in Stevie Wonder's voice, you know, or, right. or even George Jones and... Uh, you know, people like that. Um, the, the Ricky Skaggs, you know, um, um, just uh, I love the way B.B. King sang, you know, right. uh, but I, I can't sing like those guys, but I do the best <laughs> I can. You know, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm really not a singer. I'm, I'm able to kind of pull myself up on the rungs of the ladder and, and approach <laughs> being a singer just because I know when it's good or when it's not. Right. You know? But yeah. I, I wish, I wish I, I would love to, you know, you know, be like, like some of these guys, you know, it's just like, yeah. wow. Just well, awesome. Yeah. Well, it takes a lot of courage, I guess, to, you know, take on the microphone because it, it'll be easy to just hide behind your guitar. Right. But you, you yeah. know, you take that extra step and you go for it. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, and I mean, I guess it could be all instrumental and, and uh, I just, I, I don't know. I like all types of music. So I like to mm -hmm. try to incorporate different things, you know, Right. And for me, the most intriguing song of all those two albums is Maha, which has a Latin flavor and a crazy main riff. How did that one come together? You know, that was just a jam. Mm. And um, it kind of started as a jam and I just kind of kept 
messing with it till it kind of turned it. it it's really the structure is really not really like a normal song it's yeah it's a jam yeah but as i got into it and got into deciding what licks i wanted to play i was like oh i should get a percussionist in to, to play over the top of this you know and do some neat stuff and mm-hmm. um, i had fun with that and then i thought well you know i, I took this go down a classical guitar and tried to do a, a couple of flamenco licks and stuff and just like i kind of um, actually doing a little bit of that on this uh, version of Cliffs that we're working on now, too. So it's, it's just oh, okay. fun, yeah. fun include different stuff. Yeah, you mentioned that before before we started the actual interview, but you're doing a, like a Brazilian-flavored sort of version of Cliffs of Dover, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's, a little, yeah, it's just a little bit jazz-Brazilian-flavored. It's still Cliffs of Dover, but it, 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 yeah. it's, it's, it'll be very different. And I don't know what people think, but when uh, uh, John Steinman is the guitarist, he sent me a track of acoustic guitar and drums, and I just thought, oh, that's worth me fooling with. So I've been having fun doing that recently, just overdubbing on it. Right. And the only guest on the album is a singer called Ariel on the song uh, To Be Alive, right? Who else is playing on the album with you? Well, uh, Roscoe Beck played bass, Kyle Brock yeah. played bass, Chris Marsh. Um, um, yeah, uh, and then, of course, Tom Breckline, Tommy Taylor, um, God, who, uh, who, uh, uh, Kevin Hall. Um, who else is on it? Um, well, Christopher Cross is, is mm. not it. Maybe he's not singing. I guess he's not singing. He, wrote, well, he co-wrote, co-wrote a tune with me on it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's probably most of, of who it is. Yeah. Right. And uh, I read somewhere that you write on piano a lot. Do you notice a pattern of a pattern of how a song comes out between writing on piano versus guitar, or not? Yeah, I, I think sometimes I'll get pinned into a certain structure on guitar because it's with the frets, whereas with the piano I can kind of fan out my fingers and kind of check right. out voicings and mm-hmm. kind of mess around with. And then if I transfer that to guitar, sometimes it has a little bit more of a unique uh, approach to it guitaristically you know right yeah and uh what comes first when you're writing uh do you start with a solo and then wrap a song around it or do you build the song and then you add a solo what's the usual process build the song and then add a solo (laughs) okay maybe the exception would be cliffs of dover cliffs of dover i kind of wrote all those lead chords Mm. They were kind of part of the song, I guess. Right. Yeah. And uh, the impression I have is that nowadays you have complete artistic freedom and you can do an album if and when you want. Is that a fair assumption? And when did you first realize that was the case, if that's the case? Um, Well, I think it just went more and more and more that way. And it's like you get all these uh, uh, you get all these benefits of doing that, you know. Mm -hmm. But but, um, I don't know if it's all benefit, you know, because... I was I was watching a clip this morning of Chas Chandler and Eddie Kramer talking about when Jimi Hendrix did When Christ Mary. Mm. And I just thought, you know, there's something valuable and justifiable about it. They said, well, we were in the studio. We had a four-hour block of time. We had 20 <laughs> minutes left. They All they had was 20 minutes left. And, and Jimmy pulls out this song. Well, I got this song here. The chord changes. Let's go in. Let's just do it. And they just mm. read it off. Bam. And he said, I got a guitar part. I got an, he, he overdubbed two guitars on the original guitar and did the vocal. At the, his vocal went down the same time the lead went down, same track. They spent wow. 20, 20, little, 
hardly over 20 minutes doing that whole tune because they, yeah. they had to. They're forced into a situation to bring it to their best inspired ability in the moment. So, right. you know, so, I, I don't know. I don't I, I think there's two sides to that. Yeah. Time constraints sometimes brings the best out of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it might. So I wonder, I wonder yeah. about that sometimes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned your tone when we started the interview and you have one of the most distinguishable ones, of course. Uh, at the same time, your gear is not super complex. You don't play with apps or, you know, some fancy uh, pedal boards or anything. Do you think the tone is more on your fingers or on the gear? Well, I think it's more on the fingers and, mm. your, and your muting technique and picking technique. But then mm -hmm. having said that, you know, you've got to have a certain amount of gain on the amp to make it sing. Um, But, the, you know, the equipment comes into play, but I don't know if it comes into play as, as much as I've thought it had over the years because people tell me, like, you know, I'll play through, you know, uh, just a little tiny practice and say, well, it sounds like you, you know, and that's pretty good mm -hmm. to everybody, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw, I think it was Ted Nugent that said, you know, he picked up Eddie Van Halen's guitar when they were touring together and he's, he's like, I still sound like me. I don't sound like, like yeah. Eddie at all, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 That same thing happened to me on uh, one of the last Hendrix tours a few years ago. I picked up Joe Satriani's rig, and it it just sounded like me. I mean, it didn't <laughs> like, and, and I didn't change any of the controls or anything. You know, I just yeah, yeah. Uh, and speaking of tone, uh, I need to ask about two musicians you influenced who also have great tones: Eric Gales and Joe Bonamassa. Uh, what? What's it like for you to notice you're influencing guys like that? I mean, you know, super excellent, excellent guys in what they do, right? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's an honor. Both those cats are great. Um, yeah. I, I know both those guys and their sweethearts. And uh, Eric Gales, <laughs> Eric Gales, but he's a monster. Insane, right? Yeah. And, uh, he's a great guy, too. He's just a sweet guy. Yeah. And, uh, I wish both those guys all the best. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of metal fans enjoy your work. Uh, you see me here wearing a Black Sabbath shirt. I'm a metalhead, yeah. but I love what you do. So to what do you credit that? <laughs> well, I, that's I'm honored. Thank you. Oh, well, there's uh, there's some great. I, I just think music is good. Music is good music. You know, there's uh, Dime by Daryl. It's mm. really cool. You know, where he would double track stuff left and right and be so, and he used that flanger a little bit. I mean, it, it sounded killer. I mean, it's massive, just, right? Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's all sorts of um, great, I mean, there's, jeez, um, I mean, there's great players in every style. You yeah. know, and it's really, it just depends on what your cup of tea is. And you can't really decide if you let your cup of tea dictate whether something's good or not then you're just kind of you're just being short-sighted you know because yeah there's so many different styles of music that um that have just great mu musicians you know yeah uh i'm here in toronto i'm brazilian by the way and i saw you in brazil uh oh, wow, with the g3 really? so oh yeah you know it's uh that's really interesting uh a friend of mine sent me a basic track to cliffs of dover hmm. which In a, in a completely Brazilian flavor. You won't even oh, yeah? recognize the tune. It's like got all this. And I, um, I'm in the process of, of I'm, gonna, I'm finishing overdubbing to it. It's going to be like this interesting 
completely different version of Cliffs of Dover. But oh wow, are you going to release that officially or? Well, I think I might because it, he sent it to me. I was like, God, that is just so strange. You can't even. It almost doesn't even <laughs> sound like Cliffs of Dover. But but he he's a he's a, a fine guitarist and he played all these different chords. So yeah, it's interesting. Right. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I read an article recently with you, Steve Vai, and Joseph Trani reminiscing the first G3 tour. Um, what can you tell us about that tour? And now that the three of you have new albums, is it time for another run? Maybe. Possibly. We talked about it. I don't know when it would happen because they're busy doing a lot of stuff. And yeah, uh, but it could. It could very well happen in the future. Yeah, they're they're just great players. I mean, those guys play circles around me in a lot of ways. You know, <laughs> I, I'm just different. You know, we're all different. But you know, Joe's such a great technician, and he's so consistent. Every time he plays guitar, Steve's got so much emotion and so eclectic. Um, but it, you know, the tour we did—it was—I uh, guess it, it was Joe's idea, and it was just a cool idea years ago because it just the first date there was just yeah. thousands and thousands of people. You know, it was like a, people really loved it. I think they, I think people like that um, confluence of multiple people getting together. You know, yeah. And, uh, Yeah, I saw a few iterations of that G3, including one with you, uh, Joe, of course, and John Petrucci uh, in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. The, well, he's a monster. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that tour. Yeah, yeah. in South America. Yeah, and uh, well, as a Rush fan, I can't not ask you about what it was like to open for Rush on the Roll the Bones tour. What kind of memories do you have of that tour? That was great. They were so nice to us. Um, we had just spent two months in Europe, and we landed in New York, and we were crashed and we were <laughs> on our way home and we were literally like coming we just got to the airport and we got a call from um from their manager saying hey do you guys want to do a six-week tour of rush and say well sure when's it start I said oh tomorrow jesus <laughs> we had to like we never got to go home we did you know but so we just went straight on the row in but they were they were very sweet very very wonderful um right. alex i saw i guess i saw alex On the tour in Toronto, I um, yeah. I saw Alex when I was in Toronto that that last time I was out playing, and we had dinner together and visited. And oh, cool! Yeah, I saw a picture of uh, you, Alex, and Joseph Triani at Messi Hall uh, here in Toronto. Yeah, uh, was there any discussion about you guys playing together and maybe doing a YYZ? You know, why you touring the G3? That would have been awesome. <laughs> oh, well, that would have been great. You know, yeah. that was just uh, we. I was playing a show with Joe and Alex came out the show oh. and, um, and Alex said, Hey, can I meet Joe? And I said, Oh yeah, sure. And so I took him back to meet Joe. Joe was like, you know, they were both like really happy to meet each other. Right. Awesome. Uh, and I have a few questions from some of your fans, if you don't mind. Uh, oh. The first one is about uh, one of your most iconic solos, which is lonely in the night. One of my personal favorites. Uh, wow. Yeah. What memories do you have about recording that solo? And also, uh, it was written by Vince Mariani, who we lost recently, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to talk about that right now. That's okay. But That's um, okay. he's a very close friend of mine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people, that's their favorite song that I ever did, you know? And he wrote it. He wrote that whole song. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he wrote a lot of great songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry for your loss, man. I, I, I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. And, uh, well, another question I have is about the original recording of Venus Reprise, uh, because it goes on forever and there's that fade out. Uh, how yeah, long yeah. 
did it go after you faded that oh, out? Probably another two or three minutes, but I probably made too many mistakes to not <laughs> out. Actually, there, I have lyrics to that. To that, it's supposed to be oh. a song, um, uh, but I never could get the vocal right. So I said, "Ah, oh, let's just put it out as an instrumental." Okay, uh, but do you still keep that demo and uh, outtakes from uh, from that album because people would love to hear that? Yeah, I should. That's one that I probably should redo and put the vocal in it. Oh, yeah, the there vocal, you go. It's actually a. It's actually better with the vocal in it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, it was towards the end of the uh, recording the record, and I was so burnt out. And I just like oh, let's just use that, and we're done. You know. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, well. Before I let you go, back to the two albums, The Book of Making and Yesterday Meets Today. Uh, they, they'll come out on July 29th. You only have two dates in 2023 from what I saw. Can we expect more two dates to be announced uh, anytime soon or not? Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be doing a, we're going we're gonna to do a couple of long tours, I think. Okay, okay. When can we expect some kind of announcement for that? Uh, in uh, well, next couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. I was thinking maybe they were already up, but I guess not yet. I yeah, I, I haven't seen it at least. But uh, anyway, I, I'll look forward to that. And thank you so much for the interview, man. All the best with the new albums and the tour. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Take care. You take care too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.